Matthew chapter 7, um, we're going to start in verse 24 and we're going to read through the end of the chapter there. Jesus again concluding his sermon, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and he puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and they beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because its foundation, it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams arose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Just three things I want to share with you this morning. Three truths from this text and all pretty, pretty big. Here's the first. I want you to see this morning that what we know and what we say must translate into what we do. What we know and what we say has to translate into what we do. Look at verse 24 again. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams arose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The key phrase in those verses is puts them into practice. It puts them into practice. Now, in Greek, that's just one word. In the original language, in manuscript, it's just one word. It's poieo. And that word in Greek, that one word, it just means to do. That's what it means. It means to do or to make or to produce or to carry out. And Jesus is saying in conclusion to a sermon, there are two types of people. There are the people that hear my words and carry them out. The people that hear my words and do them. And there are the people that hear my words and don't. Those are the only two types of people they are. And I think it's important you notice that as you study this text, that, that both of these builders, both of these men in this case, or, or, or right, women, okay, you know, we don't have to take away the masculine there, but, but both of these builders here in this case seem to have access to the Word of God. Right? Both of these builders, it said they've both heard the words of Jesus. And that's led many commentators, that little just minute truth, led many commentators to believe that we would find both of these builders in church today. Right? They might even be sharing the same pew. That's something to think about. These are church attenders. Jesus isn't talking about non-believers. He's, he, 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 well, he is talking about non-believers. He's talking about Church attenders, though, he's not talking about people that have no access, that never hear the word of God, that never hear his words. He's talking about people that that hear it regularly. And that's caused some 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 concern for some people. They say, well, why why would the foolish builder do that? Why would he continually submit himself to that teaching of Jesus? And, and, and the answer is pretty simple, guys, is men like religion. Right. And they like religion for a lot of different reasons. OK, some people like religion because it, you know, they, they, they come to church out of a habit or obligation, right? It's just something that they do and, and what we, we're comfortable in what we do, right? So, so mom or grandma drug us to church and we've got to continue to go to church because that's just what people do on Sunday. And some people do that. They like it. Some people come to church because they like the people. Come to church because they genuinely like to fellowship with the people of God. Maybe they're in small group because they like the community uh, with, with the people of God. But, but it doesn't mean... 
that Jesus is their foundation. Some come because they like the pastor. Now, not many, but some do. Some do. Some people come because they like the music, right? Some people come to church because it, it, it makes them feel good about themselves. They, they actually feel less guilty. And so, so they come to church for that reason. Some people become because it's comfortable, because their spouse or their parents make them. You see, the truth is there are many reasons for people to come to church and have access to the Word of God or hear Jesus speak. But that doesn't mean that their foundation is necessarily built upon him. And the point our Lord is making is that the church is full of both kinds of people. The church is full of both the wise and the foolish. And the difference, according to Jesus, is what they do with what they hear. According to Jesus, it's what they do with what they hear. If they do it, if they apply it, if they carry it out, they're wise. And if they don't, they're, they're foolish. Let me put it another way for you, okay? According to Jesus... So we study this text, this is what we find. Wise men practice what Jesus preached. They just do. Wise men practice what Jesus preached. They hear the preaching of Jesus, they hear the word of God, and they, they do everything in their ability to live that out, to carry that out, to do it. Foolish men, they hear the word of the Lord, but they never find time to heed it. Foolish men hear the word of the Lord, but they never find time or reason to actually heed it. They never do what he says. They never surrender, at least not completely. See, what we know and what we say must be translated into what we do according to our Lord and Savior. Okay. Second thing we learn as we study this text, guys, is that eternity is worth laying a proper foundation. Eternity is worth laying a proper foundation. Now, our Lord's teaching on this subject uh, in Luke really sheds a lot of light upon our text. So I want you to do this with me. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 6. Book of Luke chapter 6. And we're going we're gonna to read it together. We're going to talk about it together. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. And, and again, Jesus is teaching on the same subject. And, and I, I think what, what Luke writes here for us is, is very beneficial for us, it says in Luke six forty six, Jesus speaking, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my word and puts them in to practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came and the torrent struck that uh, and, and struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And when we put these two teachings together, some interesting things come up for us. And the first is that these two men are both building a house for themselves. Would you notice that they're not building a house to flip it and sell to somebody else. This is their own personal home. That's really important, by the way. See, this is their house that they're building where they are going to live and their family is going to live. And this isn't some house that they're trying to sell to somebody else. It says when these two men build their house and they had two different approaches, it's pretty important. I want you to notice that evidently these homes are pretty similar. 
You know, there's no mention when you read both texts, there's not a single mention of any uh, major difference in the homes other than the foundation. Did you notice that? Evidently, they're pretty similar. They might even have the same floor plan. I joked Wednesday night, these must be syntax homes, right? Pick from one of these four or five floor plans. That's all you get. Uh, I'm joking, of course, but... uh, we have we have no account that there's any difference. We don't hear that one of them was brick and the other was made out of straw. We don't hear that one of them had a wood-burning fireplace and a jacuzzi tub, while the other one kind of had a hose that was that was rigged up as a shower out in the back, right? We don't have any of those details. Evidently, these houses were the same. From the outside, when somebody looked from the outside, these homes both appeared the same. They're pretty similar. But there is a huge difference. Jesus says, I'll show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and he laid the foundation on the rock and the flood came and the torrent struck it, but it could not shake it because it was well built. And there's two things I just want you to think about here. The first is the storm. A lot of people read this and they think about the storms of life. And I want you to know, I'm okay with that thought. If that's where you are, I think we all face storms in life. And the truth is, if Jesus is your foundation, you're going to make it through the storms in life. They're not going to ruin you. You know what I'm saying? So I'm fine with that. But I want you to know, contextually, I think the Bible would be saying that these storms are really talking about judgment. So it's actually a bigger storm. You think the storms in life are something, brother. You better get ready because the storm that this passage is talking about is, 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 is the big one, right? It's the big one. It is the wrath of God. And, and we don't talk about the wrath of God in church a lot. That makes people uncomfortable. We want to talk about the love of God, you know, the, the, the peace of God, the joy of God. All those things are fine. Uh, However, the Bible says clearly there is a time coming and when judgment comes and the sheep are separated from the goats and, and, you know, or the wheat from the tares. By the way, judgment is all throughout the Bible. Read scripture. It's all throughout the Bible. There is a day which grace, that's the era we're living under now, is going to end. When Jesus comes back, there's no more second chances and then then judgment's going to commence. And then the wrath of God, the Bible says, is going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out. When we're saved, friends, we're saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 says, for, for you know, we, we were once dead in our sins, and we were enemies of God and objects of His wrath. When you think about what Jesus did for you, He didn't just come die so that He could live in your heart. Jesus came to take the wrath of God upon Himself. When we talk about Him paying the price, That's what Jesus came to do. He came to take the wrath of God off of you and place it onto him. When you think about how he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out, Father, Father, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me. okay, but not my will, your will be done. It's a big, big deal. And so so so. this passage seems to be talking about judgment. You say, Pastor, how do you know it's talking about judgment? Well, well, we, we study the language, right? So Jesus is talking about the wise and the foolish builder, the wise and the foolish. And we start studying Scripture and you say, where else does Jesus use this kind of terminology about the wise and the foolish? And, and the answer comes that he, he uses it in Matthew 25 when he's going to talk about the ten virgins. Do you remember that story? Jesus talking about the ten virgins and the bridegroom is coming. Now, that doesn't make sense to us because when we get married, we have a special day and everybody comes to the church and there's not ten ladies dressed up in, in, in the gown, right? Right, men? That'd be a little awkward. 
be a little awkward. Like, well, honey, what are you trying to say? Are, I mean, am I supposed to choose now? I thought I had you. What's going on? Uh, but back in the day, you got to understand how marriage would work. And so you would, uh, you would, you would go to your father and say, Dad, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I'd like a wife, you know. And and uh, and and you'd go out and you'd kind of look and you say, I kind of I saw a girl a few towns over the other day when I was watering the flock, and I thought she was pretty good looking. And so Dad would go talk with her dad, and they would try to negotiate. A price, and if they could negotiate a price, they would negotiate that price. They would shake hands on it. They drink a glass of wine, and it was sealed as a covenant. At that point, that woman was said to have been bought with a price. Scripture says that, that that's us. We've been bought with a price, right? And so, so uh, at that point, then the young man would have to go back to his father's house, and he would say to to his bride to be in my father's house. There are many rooms. This is John 14. This is what Jesus says to his disciples, by the way. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to go there now to prepare a place for us. And if I go to prepare a place for us, surely I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. It's part of the Jewish wedding ceremony. That's what Jesus says to his disciples, John 14, 1 through 5. So then once, once all that's done, he goes back to his dad's house. He actually, with his own two hands, he builds the, the, the room for them, the house. He finishes it out. When it's done and he has his father's approval, then he would grab all of his best men and they would march into this, this bride-to-be's town. And as they would march, they would blow these ram's horns, these shofars. It's only one problem. All the shofars pretty much sounded the same. It was really like... Something like that, right? And so you can imagine the excitement. And this bride-to-be, she, she is engaged and she's just been waiting for this thing to be finished. And she doesn't know when it's going to happen, but now it has clearly happened. Now she is so excited. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, mom, what did I do with the dress? And just craziness, right? I mean, listen, man, those of us that have, you know, we've, we've done this, right? I mean... It, it was crazy the first time the way that we did it, right? And with the months and the months of the planning. And the, I don't know about you guys. We had a wedding on a budget. And so there were bubbles and some kind of netting. And I'm tying little flower bows onto them. And, you know, everybody's trying to do their little share for the for the budget. And I was like, this is ridiculously crazy. I can't imagine you're blowing a shofar. And now everybody's, and she's, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my. You know what I'm saying? When we got married, my wife left at like four in the morning to do her hair or something ridiculous, you know? Everybody do the updo and the nails and all the stuff. I mean, it just took for ages. And he saw, I was like, that's not her. That's not the lady. I don't know what happened, but that's, that's you, you got, you're right. I'm not the only one, right? When you lift the veil, you're like, whoa, wait, what? Uh, huh? Wait. Anyway, just maybe it's just me. And, and so, so you do this. Imagine all that going down and like, boom, drop of a hat, right? I mean, freaking out. So the lady, and now she's in her gown, and she's getting dressed, and she's running out. And, and guess what? There's only one problem. There's other women in town that are betrothed. And so they're all doing it. The whole community's a buzz. Oh, my gosh, where's my dress? Where are my flowers? I don't know. And they all run out, right, Matthew 25. Now there are ten women in wedding dresses. Oh, that is not a place I want to be. Okay. I'm, out of ten, you know you got a few bridezillas. I'm just saying. All right. So you've got ten, and they're all here, and, and they've all got their lamps, and they're waiting, and, and they're waiting for their bridegroom. Only one thing, some of them weren't prepared. See, it says the wise ones, they came, and their lamps were full of oil, and they were ready to wait. But the foolish ones were not. Now, that parable in Matthew 25 is all about the judgment of God. And so, so when we talk about the storms, and we look at this passage, contextually, it seems to be about judgment. 
And that's kind of a big deal because what that means is that this house that we're talking about, this house is a reference to our life. And not just our life here, but our eternal life. So what are are you building your eternity upon? It's kind of a a big deal. Now, the only other thing I have to point out to you is, is the foundations, right? That's what sets these two men apart is their foundations it says that the, the wise man took the time to dig down deep and lay his foundation on the rock. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever, ever dug holes, right? Anybody ever dug a hole? Now, how many of you, that was your favorite thing on earth, right? You want to retire and become a hole digger. Anybody? No. No, it's the worst occupation known to man, right? I mean, this is why, you know, I, I mean, they, they have that whole thing. There, there's, the, there's, a, there, there's some uh, prison guy that, that makes his prisoners dig holes and, and they have to dig holes and wear pink uniforms or something. You know this guy? Uh, and, uh, and, and why? Because it is the worst thing on earth. There's not a whole lot great unless, unless you know, you use one of Bo Godfrey's uh, massive excavator things. I could dig those kind of holes, brothers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want, I want, the, I want the multi-million dollar scoop. It's done. There's my pool. It took two, two seconds, right? But if, if you've ever dug a hole, especially around here, you know, digging's not fun. It's hard work. And, and, and there's all kinds of stuff. When you start to dig that you find that you never thought you'd find, right? You start out and you go, oh, this isn't too bad because the topsoil just comes out like that, doesn't it? Oh, there's that topsoil. All of a sudden you hit that, that, that clay and it depends where you live. It's either red or gray. And I think they're both as sticky as the other, right? And it's like super glue now. And now I'm jumping from, I'm jumping as high as I can and landing on top of this sharp shovel object uh, and trying to get it down in the earth as far as I can. And then if you dig around here, sometimes you'll, you'll find there's even a little layer of of rock or or sediment that's fun to dig through and then maybe you hit a big boulder right and and of course guys the truth is if you dig deep enough you might even run into a couple old skeletons that you buried a long long time ago the point is guys and we said this when we began is that the gospel has to go down deep into a man it is not enough for jesus to be the lord of the topsoil of your life you can't pick and choose what area he gets to be Lord over, that, 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 that he gets to have control over. You can't, you, you, that, that's not what salvation is. Remember, we said this last week. Salvation is, is a complete exchange. Salvation only comes with complete and total surrender to Jesus. Friends, salvation is an all-access pass to God in which we give him authority and control over every crack and every crevice of our, our life in, in which we allow him to have have access to the very depths of us and through which we are born again, learning to stand and walk not in us, but stand and walk on him and through him. And that's what salvation is. And I want to tell you, it's often both glorious and painful. Just want to be honest. I remember when I got saved, I mean, clearly best moment of my life is awesome, glorious, but it hurt. And people never talk to you about that aspect of salvation. Oh, it's just wonderful. It hurt me. It may not have hurt you, but it hurt me. I remember when God was calling me to himself. And and I remember what that complete surrender meant. And I had to let go of stuff. And I had to allow God to dig way down deep into me. And I I honestly felt like if I didn't surrender to God, that I was going to die. I don't know if anybody else got there, but I was going to die. And and God wasn't saying, listen, I want the top soil of your life, Jason. He was saying, I need the depths of who you are. And so for God to save me, 
I had to release some things that I had kept hidden from everybody else. I had to release some some sins and, and, and some faults and some failures and some fears. And there were some things that I had buried way down deep and I had built my house upon them and nobody could see. But God saw and he said, son, I want you, but for me to have you, I've got to have all of you. I remember having to release all of that and it was tough and it was hard, but it was so worth it. That's how deep the gospel has to go. I heard a story about uh, these ocean liners today, you know, I'm not talking about carnival, uh, but but just these, these big, big ships. It doesn't matter. It could be a cruise ship. It could be a, a, a cargo ship. And, you know, um, of course, the, the, the greatest ship that was ever made, the Titanic, we know what happened there. And they learned some lessons from that. They really did. And so these big ocean liners today, they, they have uh, b- beneath them, way down in the water, they, they have all of, of these separate compartments that help keep them afloat. And what happens if you were to strike something or you were to get a leak and, and water began to pour into one compartment, they have the ability now to press buttons and shut off and seal that compartment so that the rest of the compartments can keep the ship afloat. Doesn't that make you feel good if you ever go on one of these things, right? Ah. There's only one problem, guys. Salvation isn't something that's intended for one compartment of your life. See, we're we're very good at pushing the button and saying, God, I want you to have access to this. I need you to save me here. But no, 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 no. Don't you touch my finances. Don't you change my buying habits. Don't you tell me that I should have less stuff. Don't you tell me I should give my money away. No, no, no. Not access there. God, you can have access to everything but the way that I parent. Nope, my parents spanked me. I'm going to spank my children. It's biblical, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Bam! I'm going to do it out of anger, by the way, because that's biblical. I'm going to get so mad at my kids that when I punish them, it's discipline. I'm going to do it with a look on my face like I want to kill them. It's biblical. God, you can't have access to that part of me. That's too down. That's too down deep. I've got to parent the way that I was parented. Guys, that's not eternal life. Eternal life requires us to surrender every compartment of our lives. It requires us to surrender all the way down to the depths of who we are so that our life is no longer built upon us and our desires, but instead it is built upon Christ and his desires. That's salvation. Eternity is worth laying a proper foundation, friends. Okay, number three, we're almost done. I want you to see, lastly, that a life built upon Jesus will stand the trials of this life and the judgments of eternity. A life built upon Jesus will stand the trials of this life and the judgments of eternity. There's two places I want to take you. Isaiah 28, 16. And you may just want to jot this down. I'm just going to read it to you. Isaiah 28, 16. God's speaking to the prophet. And he says, the sovereign Lord says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone, get this, for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. God's talking about his son, Jesus, by the way. He is the trusted stone, the foundation. Psalm 27, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read verse 1 through 6. Psalm 27, uh, verse 1 through 6. I want you to hear what David writes. 
David writes in verse 1 of Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe. In His dwelling, He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. See, for David, the rock was a place of safety and security. And here Jesus says, listen, this is as simple as I can put it. He's saying to you and I, listen, if you want safety and security, if, if, if you want to construct something that will withstand the trials of this life and, and the judgments of eternity, then friends, build on me. Because you, you, can, you, can, you can build on so many things in life, right? Guys, you, you can build on, on, on feeling, can't you? That's what our world tells you. Just, you just do whatever feels right. You know, whatever your heart tells you to do. Well, brother, guess what God says about your heart? It says your heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure. So do you want to build on a lie or do you want to build on the truth of God, right? What do you want to build on? You know, you can build your life on your friend's opinions. Right. Well, my friends are doing this and my friends are doing that. And, I, I, and we, we think we grow out of that as adults. We don't grow out of that. It's called keeping up with the Joneses now. Right. Back then it was it was, you know, hey, I just, hey, mommy, guess what? Tommy's mom made him a fluffernutter for lunch. I want a fluffernutter. I heard that the other day. I hadn't heard fluffernutter in ages. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that marshmallow cream and peanut butter? Isn't that what a fluffernutter is? Anybody, anybody ever eaten a fluffernutter? What? You've never heard of a fluffernutter sandwich? People, as soon as church is over, you can access your smartphones and Google fluffernutter, okay? You people need to get out a little bit more. All right? Fluffernutter. Marshmallow cream sandwich. Now listen, maybe your friends have that. And as we get older, we kind of see the same thing. Listen, uh, listen, our friends just got a new car. I got to get a car. They just got a bigger house. I need a bigger house. And we, we, we're doing the same thing. We're just changing the language of it. Here's the problem again. What did Jesus say about our friends? Right? There's a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's a narrow path and a wide path. And the fools are going down the wide path and they're saying, hey, come with me. Come with me. There's plenty of room to run over here. We can do whatever we want to do. Sinners love company. So what do we do? What do we choose? Jesus says, listen, if you want to build, if you want something that's going to withstand the trials and the judgments of this life, then build on me. Don't misunderstand this. When you study this section of Scripture, Jesus is clearly identifying himself as the rock. Jesus is our sure foundation. There is no other. There is no other. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Right? I will trust in the Lord. I'll trust in the Lord. I pray that that's how you feel. 
Friend, know yourself well enough to know that your heart's deceitful. Know yourself well enough to know that you will falter and you will stray and that your desires are not God's desires and your thoughts are not God's thoughts. Make Jesus your foundation, okay? So what do we do with all that? I'm going to give you a few things and we'll be done. Just three points of application here. Number one, uh, I, I, I think this section of Scripture as we close the sermon on now, I want you to beware. Man, judgment is going to come to all. It's going to come to all men one day. The storm is coming. The wrath of God is going to be poured out. Only those whose lives are built upon Jesus will be left standing. That's the warning. Beware. Beware. I'm not, this isn't hellfire and brimstone. This is just, it's the truth of God's word. Judgment will come one day. Beware, okay? Number two, I challenge you to be wise. When you know that judgment is coming, that should call you to something. This is what Jesus is saying the whole time. He's saying, he's saying be be wise. This is a great warning. I mean, Jesus is literally saying, folks, I mean, we'll break it down real simple. Don't be dumb, right? Don't be dumb. Make sure your foundation is firm. Trust Jesus. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust what you, your feelings, your emotions, your heart. Don't trust your friends. Be wise. Make sure your foundation is Jesus. And then lastly, one one scripture I'll share with you and we'll be done. I, I want to challenge you to build for eternity. First uh, Corinthians chapter three um, I want to read what it says to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. It says, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, I don't want to freak you out, but lots of people don't feel comfortable with this, but this is what Paul's talking about. It is possible to be a Christian and to be saved and to still be trying to build on top of the foundation of Jesus with hay and straw. And Paul's warning is, don't do that. He's saying, if you're going to build... If you laid your foundation, then build with the right materials. Live for the right stuff, right? He said, build your life so that it lasts, right? And this is what Jesus has said all throughout this. Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up your treasures in heaven, right? Where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. He's saying, live your life for eternity. It means give your life away to God and there will be great Reward. Now, rewards in heaven freak people out. They don't like the thought of that. But but this is a scripture that clearly says, listen, you're going to be saved. That's what Paul said. You're going to be saved. You will be saved. But don't think that you get to bring all that stuff with you. Only the things of God will last. Only the things of God will last. And so the challenge is live a life worth living. Live a life worth eternity. Live a life for God and for His glory. Because that's going to last and there's going to be great reward. And, and friends, I don't, I don't know about you, but um, I tend not to worry too much about my 401k, you know. You know, I, I put money into it. I, you know, I, I don't ever envision retiring. At some point, I'll probably be senile and people won't want to listen to me preach anymore. And I, I, who knows what I'll do there. Maybe I'll have a good nursing home audience and we'll... We'll work it out, right? 
I, I, I told Hope, I said, I don't know what the retirement plan for a preacher is, to be honest with you. At what point does God say, stop telling people the truth of my word? I, I don't get it. Christians, the same is true for you, though. Because the truth is, we're all Christ ambassadors. So what are you building your life on? What are you investing in? What are you, what are you working towards? I pray that you're working towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All right? So we close our time in the Sermon on the Mount together. I hope that it has encouraged you. I hope you remember that you can be these kind of people. That's what Jesus says. That he's describing his followers, friends. He, he, he's not saying you have to do all these things. He's saying, I'm going to do all these things in you. I'm going to make you into this person. What do we have to do? What is our role? Remember? Surrender. It's just surrender. All right? I'm going to call you to it again this morning for the last time. I'm going to ask that you would surrender all you have, all you are, for his namesake, for his glory.